I think we often see technology and innovation as a silver bullet to dealing with a lot of social issues. And they're like a one size fits all. We'll just throw a new digital thing at it. We'll throw an app at it or a new snazzy online toolkit or I don't know, whatever it is, a new AR, VR experience. And then suddenly we've solved this particular social ill. And I believe actually at the core of change is people and thought leaders and change makers and all those other kind of terms and so I was trying to say like actually it's people that change museums it's not technology that changes museums it's people that do and it's how they use technology in interesting and creative and diverse ways. This is Art Is, a podcast for artists where we brainstorm the future of the art world and the creative industries. Today I'm sharing part one of my conversation with Sophie Frost, researcher, writer, and academic. Sophie and I had such a wonderful and enriching conversation that I decided you needed to hear all of it, so I split it into three parts. Go ahead and listen to part one now, but before listening to parts two and three, which will be coming out in the following weeks, be sure to check out her podcast, People Change Museums. That way you can fully appreciate and understand the topics we discuss. Today, Sophie introduces her work and the mission behind People Change Museums. We reflect on how the pandemic and other intersecting crises of the moment have impacted museums and the art sector at large, while looking at the role technology plays in shaping our contemporary cultural reality. This episode was recorded in December 2021, so when we say last year, we mean 2020. Before we start, I also wanted to share some news. Last week, the week of January 10th, 2022, Art Is broke its listener record. This was also the first week I didn't post about the podcast on Instagram. So what I'm saying is we are growing organically by word of mouth, which is amazing and I'm so excited. So instead of following Art Is on Instagram or liking our posts, please take a moment to reflect on who in your life might enjoy and benefit from this podcast and please share it with them so we can continue to grow and brainstorm the future of the art world together. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Anyways, I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. I'm Sophie. I am first and foremost an academic. And at the moment, my research is principally in the context of museums. And I work in the museum studies department at the University of Leicester. But I actually have a PhD in film and visual culture. And I have worked across arts management, cultural, media and creative industries work and a bit of cultural anthropology as well. And I currently teach across those subjects. I've learned the art of being quite lateral in my skill set. But I think what's at root in all of the kind of research, writing, lecturing, podcasting that I do now is a real kind of commitment to this idea of cultural work. What does it mean? What does it mean in the 21st century? What does it mean to make art right now? How can we create better conditions for making art? And how do cultural organisations operate in order for, in terms of supporting their workforce and those that they work with? So that's kind of my key interest. I'm really excited to dive in. So to get us started, could you introduce us to the One by One initiative? Right. So the One by One initiative was actually established by my boss, Professor Ross Parry, who is a professor of museum technology at the University of Leicester in 2017. And our strapline is building digital confidence in museums. It's a transnational initiative made up of 
museum practitioners, academics, policymakers, sector support organisations, other interested people. And we're now in our third round of funding through the Arts and Humanities Research Council in the UK. Our current project is actually co-funded by NEH in the US, which is the National Endowment of the Humanities. So it's quite a big scale project we're on now. When it was set up in 2017, it was really in response to a conversation that had been happening for many years around a deficit, if I can use that term still, of digital skills and digital literacy in the museum space and how museums and, and art galleries and heritage sites, I include in that definition, were struggling to kind of use technology for a variety of interlinked and complex reasons. And one by one decided that we needed to do a lot more research in this area and it should be embedded action research. So really trying to be on the ground in different museums, working out where exactly were like the issues and what could we do to solve them. I think it might be helpful if it's okay just to talk about like how my work's kind of changed while I've been on this project. So I joined in 2019 for the first version of the project and I was based as a digital fellow, I was called, at the Royal Pavilion and Museums in Brighton and Hove, which is a five-site museum service down in Brighton on the south coast of England. So this is way pre-COVID, 2019, kind of, you know, the golden age of innocent times to do with (laughs) digital skills and thinking about digital museums, dare I say it. And I was tasked to try and think about how we could encourage the workforce across the museum to feel more confident with digital storytelling because of the kind of 200 odd members of staff. There was a real mixed amount of feeling towards social media in particular and what it could do for the museum service. So a lot of people quite sceptical, they were frustrated, they were unsure, they'd had bad experience of using social media in the past and it was my role as an action-centred researcher to see how we could build some consensus about what social media and digital storytelling could offer the museum service in terms of reaching new audiences, building new types of confidence, I actually ended up calling it digital courage, how it could be used to democratise the experiences of the workforce as well. So that was project one that culminated in creating a social media blueprint for the institution, which was consensus led. So it was really like based on working in a safe way, like providing a sort of safe, supportive, open environment in which people could really say how they felt about social media. And we created a social media blueprint to foreground how the organization might use social media in the future. And we created my first podcast, research podcast, which is called Voices of the Royal Pavilion and Museums, which is a 16 episode podcast where I interviewed an absolute cross section of the museum service about their experiences, history, stories about the building, the collection, other thoughts. And really my main aim was with that was using the podcast as a very kind of simple form of technology that would help democratise experience of the workforce. So one episode, I interview Lavender, you know, a volunteer of 25 years standing and amazing anecdotes that she had about working for the museum service down in Brighton. And in the next episode, we've got the chief exec talking about what it means to be a strategist for a regional museum. So that was kind of my first intro into podcasting as well and and how effective it could be in terms of really including all voices in a phenomenon rather than just one or two voices. There's certain episodes I direct you to. So like the first episode, I go on a journey with a museum outreach officer and the skin of a Siberian tiger called Boris. And the, this 
poor Siberian tiger. It was um, an item in the museum's collection. And Boris died in a local zoo in 1986, I think. And we take Boris on the bus with us to uh, a local primary school that has very little resources and can't afford to take its kids to the museum itself. So the museum goes to it. And so we sit down with Michael, the outreach officer, and Boris. And we just talk to these kindergarten kids, basically, about what a tiger is. And then we all read Tiger Who Came to Tea by Judith Kerr. But it was a really great mechanism, not just of like celebrating different forms of museum work and what the potential of museums was in the local community, but also it was a way of me accessibly telling a bigger point about lack of arts education, lack of provision, like cultural provision in the local area, how we value our heritage sites in the community. You know, so it was, I kind of used a fun way to access a, a deeper point. And that's what I really like about podcasting as a research tool. That's a great point, using podcasting as a research tool and as a lens through which to showcase different perspectives. I mean, it has its own challenges because I think podcasts haven't particularly been recognised within academia as anything more than like a fun kind of instant output. I don't think they have the the kudos, the credit that you would if you had a peer-reviewed journal article, for example, or like a monograph book, which is a shame because I actually think in many ways they're more dynamic and forward thinking than anything you can produce in those different mediums. Um, But hey, you know, all we can do is like force the change, which is what I'm trying to do. (laughs) Well, I think that's an awesome mission, and I truly think you are accomplishing it. I mean, I discovered your work through your most recent podcast, People Change Museums, which is so impactful. Could you introduce it for those who haven't listened yet, and also maybe comment on the backstory of the title? So People Change Museums was like the second podcast produced under the umbrella of One by One. And so when that project with Brighton ended, we then had a new partnership with the Smithsonian in the States. And that started in February 2020, so a month before the pandemic. So joyfully, myself and my research team, we were like, yay, we're going to spend loads of time in Washington. And we'd already had a warm-up trip the previous summer, and we were working with four Smithsonian units, um, so four Smithsonian museums, specifically looking at the role of digital leadership across the Smithsonian. And then obviously the pandemic unfortunately hit, and we had to really quickly repivot and think, okay, how can we do qualitative ethnographic embedded action-centered research when we only have virtual worlds to access our research participants and so my response to that was right we're going to do another podcast and so people change museums was born so that was quite different like tone and tenor to voices the royal pavilion i wanted it to be much more narrative as in much more narrative me leading the narrative a lot more sharing my insights a lot more, making it a bit more critical and conceptual and drawing a lot on my own research background in visual culture and sociology and cultural anthropology. Again, the podcast was a tool to capture a moment in time when there was a lot of anxiety and uncertainty and crisis, actually, you know, really intersecting crisis is the term I use a lot in the podcast around what was happening in the world in March 2020 onwards, especially in the museum space. And, you know, different to the UK, which is obviously the other context in which I work quite a lot, US museum sector was really struggling. There was a lot of sudden closures, permanent closures, huge reductions in staff, people being laid off, and they didn't know they'd ever be able to work for their institution again. There was lots of really bad stuff happening. And then mixed with a difficult political time alongside COVID was then the murder of George Floyd and the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement and a lot of civil rights questions being asked very critically within the museum sector in the US. So it felt like this kind of huge melting pot of issues, the question of what can technology do 
at this really troubling, difficult time was sort of at the top of everyone's agenda. And I wanted this to be a really reflective, critical piece of work that was trying to understand that. So to answer your question about the title, I always wait for my podcast titles. Like they come to me very late and always in the middle of the night for some reason. So I messed around for quite a few months doing interviews, not knowing what the title was. And then I just realized, look, there is no one phrase that's going to capture this moment. And so that's why I've got a full stop after each of the words. It's people, full stop change full stop museums full stop because the podcast is about people it's about change and it's about museums but then obviously neatly as well it's people change museums which is at the heart of it and you know I'm sure we'll come on to this but it's a broader idea that I think we often see technology and innovation as a silver bullet to dealing with a lot of social issues and they're like a one-size-fits-all we'll just throw a new digital thing at it we'll throw an app at it or a new snazzy online toolkit or I don't know whatever it is, a new AR, VR experience, and then suddenly we've solved this particular social ill. And I believe actually at the core of change is people and thought leaders and change makers and all those other kind of terms. And so I was trying to say like, actually it's people that change museums. It's not technology that changes museums, it's people that do. And it's how they use technology in interesting and creative and diverse ways. What I found really impactful were the keywords you chose for the podcast that dictated the episode titles. Could you explain that decision? So the keywords idea, again, came about with a desire to like really work out like what are the most profound issues affecting people working in the museum and heritage sector. But I should say, when I say that, I actually am also, I've done a lot of research with performing arts venues and galleries. So this work happens to be with museums. But when I talk about the conditions of work I'm often talking in a much more like cross arts context I wanted to really work out like what are the key words defining the conditions of work last year and this was based on a very kind of one of my favorite critical thinkers Raymond Williams who was a Welsh sociologist and he wrote a very famous book in 1976 called Key Words a new vocabulary for culture and society in which he looked at over 100 keywords and like their what are the kind of implicit meanings underneath them you know including like culture as a word being one of the most complicated like meaningful and therefore often meaningless because there's so many meanings attached to it words in society I was really influenced by that and I thought okay it's a really accessible way of getting new ideas on the table so I came up with six keywords and I used the kind of podcast structure to to organize them so there was an episode per keyword and three of those words are very celebratory so you've got words like courage and agency and empathy and those words were trying to say like these are the kind of skills and behaviors we need to model if we are going to have any kind of sustainable future for ourselves as people working in the arts and heritage organizations. And then the other three key words are precarity, and there's two terms, emotional labor and cultural identity. So precarity and emotional labor, I think, are two, you know, they're two complex theoretical ideas, which also capture very real lived experiences of working in the arts today. And I was very interested in the role they play within the arts, but also how we can reappropriate them and harness them to be used as a source of good rather than being a bad thing. 
And then that final term, cultural identity, really speaks to what I was talking to earlier about kind of one of the intersecting crisis points being the re-emergence and the re-pushing of the civil rights agenda in the US. And I just realised as I went on that I would be remiss in making this series if I didn't have a episode that was about cultural identity because it is such a pivotal keyword to our current moment and continues to be within this space. I remember reading Raymond Williams's keywords in art history class at university. He still has value, right? I really get excited when we can repurpose theorists for the modern day, you know, when we can use historical figures, recent historical figures to like then frame our current moment. I think there's a certain power in that. I'm not an Instagrammer, I have to say. I'm on Twitter, very on Twitter, at Soph underscore Frosty. I have a LinkedIn page. And then also you can find People Change Museums. The best source for it is on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And likewise with Voices, the Royal Pavilion and Museums. And you can find more about One by One on uh, oneby1.uk. I mean, always up for more chats. And feel free, anyone get in contact who's been interested by anything I've said or just wants to actually debate it welcome that too <laughs> thank you for listening to Art Is a podcast for artists this episode I'd like to thank Sophie Frost for sharing her insights with us stay tuned to hear part 2 and 3 of our conversation coming later on in season 3 please leave Art Is a podcast for artists a rating and review in Apple Podcasts it really helps others find us You can support the work I do by subscribing wherever you listen and by donating to the podcast. The link to do so is in the episode description. Okay, that's it for now. Thanks so much, and see you next Wednesday.